Thank you for listening to the New Life Church podcast. If you need any information about our church or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at newlifekingman.com. And if you have your Bibles, turn with me over to the book of uh, John, the Gospel of John. Um, If you're not familiar, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Uh, Sometimes I, I, I make those statements, I think that's silly, but... There are times when that's not silly. Amen. And so the book of John, chapter 6. Amen. Now last week, uh, we began a series of messages entitled, Follow Me. And so this is the second in our series. And the goal of these messages is to get us thinking about our salvation. Can you say amen to that? So we have some objectives here this morning. Number one is to help, uh, uh, help us see our salvation in terms of what it biblically means. Amen. Everybody needs to say amen to that. Amen. You say, well, why? Because uh, in this day and age, there's ideas and understandings about salvation that are extra biblical. They're not so biblical. Can you say amen? Number two, it's to help us deepen our walk with Jesus Number three, it's to challenge ourselves to overcome those things that hinder us. And number four is to give us a greater understanding of our salvation. And we asked the question last week, what does it mean to be saved? And we came to the conclusion that uh, salvation in the simplest of terms is really being made right with God. That's what salvation is about. Now, we understand that there's a whole lot more to it. Please do not think for a moment, because you're going to see as we get into this message, that there's a lot more to it than just that simple statement. Uh, Salvation really is an act of reconciliation between God and man. But there is more to it than that. And after reviewing last week the story of the rich young ruler, we found out that being saved is about surrendering our lives completely and totally to him and following him, didn't we? We found that out. It's a whole life commitment, not just merely religious activity. Everything in our lives, in salvation, when we come to salvation, everything in our lives is given to him. And we make him both Lord and Savior. Amen. Now, he is our Savior, no doubt. We, we know that, we, we honor that, we worship that, we praise that, but he has to be our Lord as well. Can you say amen? He needs to be the Lord of our life. And the evidence of that salvation is this, that we change. Evidence of salvation is that there is ongoing change, that we go and sin no more. Amen. That we go and sin no more. And through that salvation grace, we are empowered to be who God created us to be. And over and over, what we found out last week is over and over again in the life of Jesus, we see that when he was preaching and when he was ministering, there was almost this irresistible call to follow him. He, he, he continually made this statement, follow me. It was a consistent, constant message 
in his preaching. At the beginning of his ministry, he called his first disciples in Matthew 4.19. He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And as his ministry progressed, he told the crowds in Mark chapter 8, verse 34, he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And at the end of his ministry in John 21, 19, he recommissioned Peter with the words, follow me. So over and over again, Jesus is using this term, Follow me. So the question that we asked last week, and we're going to continue to answer today, is what does it mean to follow Jesus? Now we said last week that following Jesus begins when we respond to his call to repent and believe the gospel. And it is the gospel message of God's grace being poured out upon us that moves us to want to live for him and follow him. Listen, God never requires something from us that he does not provide. The Bible tells us that without faith, it's impossible to please him. But yet he says he gives every man the measure of faith. He says, I will give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. God requires things of us, no doubt, but he gives us those things that he requires from us. And so in the act of salvation, he calls us to follow him. But that grace that pours out upon us in salvation is what empowers us to actually do what he's called us to do, to follow him. So now this morning, we're going to take this a little bit deeper. And we're going to move into some scary verses of scripture. Are you ready? I love this. I love going down this. And one of the reasons like, I love this is because I love the Bible. I love the Word of God. I love the fact that the Word of God is just simply there. And you say, what do you mean by that? It, it, it doesn't hedge. I love the fact that the Word of God is not politically correct. Amen? I love the fact that the Word of God is not manipulative. Amen. I love the fact that the Word of God just puts it out there. It just says it. I love Jesus. I love the way he dealt with people. I love the fact that he was gracious, good, and kind. But, when, but if you ruffled his feathers, he was able to just tell you how the cow ate the cabbage. Uh, you, you know what I'm saying? I'm, I, mean, I just love it. I, I love it. So this portion of Scripture that we're about to read is no exception to that. The Bible says in chapter 6, John chapter 6, starting in verse 53, then Jesus said to them, most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father has sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever." 
This is an amazing passage of scripture. Listen to what I'm saying. Both for its controversy and its insight. This is amazing. There, there is no one this morning that can stir the status quo like Jesus. Are you hearing what I'm saying? He was and he is now as provocative as he is wise. Listen to what I'm saying. He never lets his people settle into lifeless, one-sided, traditional thinking. He was always challenging the assumptions and the conclusions of the day. And no one ever spoke like Jesus. When Jesus stood to preach, no one was bored. One way or the other, you were excited. And let's be honest, many who heard Jesus found his words confrontational, offensive, and even blasphemous. And our text is no exception. Think about this for a moment. Jesus stands up and he's talking to a group of Jews at this point. And he says, you got to eat my flesh and you got to drink my blood. He said, well, why would that? Well, just get, if you get past the whole eating human flesh and drinking human blood, if you get past that part, then you're confronted with the fact that the law said you don't ever eat anything or drink anything with blood in it. (laughs) It was a slam dunk for the religious rules. Jesus is turning everything upside down. And this is what I love about Jesus. I I love the fact that he just comes out there, he he says it, and he doesn't even stutter when he says it. He doesn't blink, he's not bashful, he just says it. You gotta eat my flesh and you gotta drink my blood if you want eternal life. And here's the wonder of it all. In his most controversial statements, it's there that we find the greatest depth of life and truth. To really understand this morning this amazing text in John 6, we gotta go back to the beginning of the story. So you just hang on with me because this is necessary. You say, really, is this history necessary? Yes, it's necessary for our understanding. Because in the beginning of John 6, what we find is that a huge crowd has found its way to Jesus, and they were following him. And as the day wore on, Jesus asked his disciples, hey, hey, hey guys, where can we get some bread to feed these people? Now, Jesus never asks a question that he doesn't know the answer to. And generally, look at, let me, let me say this. If you're in prayer and God asks you a question, there's two things. Number one, he already knows he's not seeking info. He's not coming to you to see if he can expand his knowledge. So his question is not designed to get info from you. His question is designed to get info to you. Are you hearing that? What he's wanting you to do is think. He's wanting you to think. He's wanting you to think about what's going on. And so Jesus never asks a question he doesn't know the answer to. And he is seeing what he's doing. He's wanting to see what the disciples are made of. Have they caught on to anything yet? Do they understand what's going on? And so Philip answers him and basically says to him, it doesn't matter if we know where to get bread. We don't have enough money anyway. And once again... The disciples 
are missing the point. So Jesus does a great miracle, and he feeds the 5,000. And this was all done so Jesus could give them and those that followed him a great lesson. Now I want you to see this, because look over at John 6, 22 through 26. It says, on the following day, so what's happened already is Jesus has had this moment. He's fed the 5,000. Now on the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except that one which his disciples had entered and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said, Rabbi, where did you come from? Where did, where, how'd you get here? Is basically what they're saying. Jesus answered them and said, most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw, or you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. This is important to understand. You notice Jesus, and one thing I want to tell you about in prayer, Jesus probably will never answer the question you ask. (laughs) I love it. Go back. Every time a question was asked, he didn't answer it. He always answered what they needed. See, we think we know what we need to ask, don't we? We don't know. We don't know what we need. Jesus knows what we need. And so what he does is he, he gives them an answer. And, and, and what he does, he says, you, you didn't come here. You're, you're not here because you saw great wonders or signs or you didn't see a miracle took place. You came because I filled you up. You came because you ate well that day. <laughs> see, there is a difference today between those who follow Christ for the fishes and the loaves the crowd who just want to be fed, and those who follow Jesus with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It's easy to become excited about what Jesus can do for us, but never have a heart to become like him. Are you hearing me? The crowd loved Jesus and came to him for help. They came to him because they needed something in their lives. Their lives were troubled. And there is nothing wrong with that. Please don't misunderstand that. Jesus loves people and he cares for them. And he came as a healer. He came as a deliverer. He came as a savior. But listen, church, he also came as Lord. Are you hearing what I'm saying? See, followers of Jesus want more than just what Jesus can do for them. They want Jesus. They don't want just the miracle. They want him. In the Old Testament, this is the way it it, it shakes out in the Old Testament. God often talks about his hand. 
And whenever God talks about his hand in our life, it's a reference to his power. But there are places in the Bible it talks about his face, his countenance, that that we we should pray that his face and his countenance shine upon us and be turned towards us. In fact, Numbers chapter 6, verse 24 through 27 talk about this. This was the, 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 the blessing that God gave Aaron to give to the people. He said, speak this over them, that that the countenance or the face of God would be always turned towards them. And there is a difference between the face and the hand. See, when you pray for the hand of God, you're praying for his power. But when you pray for his face, you are praying for him. And when you get him, you always get his power. Can you say amen? But if you pray for his power, there can be a distance between you and him. See, even Pharaoh experienced the power of God, but he didn't have a relationship with him. Are you catching that? And so this is basically the same thing. These people, this crowd had experienced the power of Jesus, but they didn't have Jesus. See, followers of Jesus want more than what he can do for them. They want him. So now look at John 6, 30 through 34, it says, therefore they said to him, what sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe, it, believe you? See, that's part of the problem, isn't it? God can do for us over and over and over again, and we still require a sign. We can still sit back and say, you know what, I don't know, that might have been dumb luck. I know that you only had a couple loaves of bread and a few fish and 5,000 people plus women and children got fed, and there was a lot left over. But hey, that might have been a coincidence. Science can explain that. No, it can't. There is now no science on the planet that can explain that kind of multiplication. It doesn't work. It's miraculous. It's the power of God. It's God doing something for us that we cannot for ourselves. But we are forever saying, God, prove yourself to me. And if that don't work, then we go to the next question. What work will you do? What are you going to do next, Jesus? Our fathers ate manna in the desert, as is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. These folks are still not getting it, are they? They are looking for a meal, and Jesus wants to give them life. Isn't that so much like human nature? Is we are always settling for something that is significantly less. Look at John chapter 6, verse 48 through 52. It continues. Jesus then responds and says, I'm the bread of life. I'm the bread. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and now they're dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. 
The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? This has upset the whole apple cart by this point. I mean, they're already upset, and Jesus hadn't even got to the good part yet. I mean, he's already stirred the pot. He's already confronted their dysfunction. Amen. Jesus is always confronting our dysfunction, isn't he? He is always coming to us because, church, we have a nasty habit of settling for the significantly insignificant. You say, well, that does, that's not proper English. No, no, I wrote it down that way. I thought it through. It's significantly insignificant. And he is showing them the key to life. And he says, really, if you want life, if you want the kind of life that lasts forever, then you're going to have to partake in that which will change you forever. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It's in the context, it's in this context that Jesus said, most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat my flesh or eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. And here's the intensity this morning of that, that statement. Jesus was literally, here's what's happening. Jesus is literally ushering in the new covenant. Partaking in the flesh and the blood of Jesus is a visual illustration of a spiritual reality. Now, please, don't be so naive as to think that he's talking about cannibalism because he's not. He's not. He's using a metaphor. It's, uh, admittedly, it's a fairly significant metaphor. It's a fairly intense metaphor. And in some cases, it's even a little offensive in its nature to demonstrate this spiritual reality. But this is what he's doing. See, because when we come to Jesus in faith and surrender our lives to him, in effect, we die to our old selves and we come alive in him. And what happens is we are eating his flesh and drinking his blood. But there is something in this statement, there is something in our text this morning that we cannot afford to overlook. In John 6, 56, in our text, he says, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. That's important because this is the key. This is this is, this is what makes this whole thing live for us. Because in John 15, 4 through 8, Jesus goes to great lengths to explain this reality. He says, abide in me and I in you, as the branches cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me nothing can you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's cast out as a branch is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and, they're, and, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this, by what? By this abiding, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples." 
This is exactly, he's taking us on a journey, isn't he? He's talking about eating his flesh, drinking his blood. He's ushering in this new covenant. He talks about it in terms of this is really about abiding. And then Jesus says, if you do this, if you abide in me, what you do is you glorify the Father and you show the world that you are in fact a disciple of Christ. Isn't that what it's about? Isn't it about being a disciple of Jesus? Jesus never told us to go into all the world and save people. He told us to go into all the world and preach the gospel and disciple nations to make disciples. We were not supposed to come and bring people just to a sinner's prayer, but what we were actually to do is come and bring people into a place of covenant relationship where they were now disciplined learners of the one who could give them life. Are you hearing what I'm saying? There is so much being said in this passage, but what I want to focus on this morning as we focus on the rest of this is this abiding. Because abiding in him is responsible literally for everything in our lives. And it's through this living illustration of the vine that we can see how we are to abide in him. And it's imperative this morning that we understand the importance of abiding in Christ. And I'll tell you why. Because it's not enough to make a profession of faith. And you say, what does that mean? Now, once again, I will remind you of what I said to you last week. This is extremely dangerous ground to walk on. Because one move to the right or one move to the left, you can flop over into works-based, performance-based religion. Or if you go to the right, you can move over into the universal grace insanity. There's somewhere got to be a balance. So when I make this statement, it's not enough to make a profession of faith. Why is that? is because the nature of making the profession of faith and what transpires when it really happens, when Jesus actually comes in, when you eat his flesh and drink his blood, when you are engrafted in the vine, there is something supernatural that transpires that changes everything in your life. But there are too many people today that are going through life professing a faith that is not at work in them. If somebody walked up to you and says, I have a gas can, go, oh, nice. I'm glad you have a gas can. And it's filled with five gallons of gas. Really? Say, you want to see how, you want to see it? And they pour it out on the ground. They light a match and they throw the match on it and it does nothing. You probably question the gas. Why? Because the nature of the gasoline is explosive. And by nature, by its nature, when it comes in contact with a source of ignition, it cannot help but respond in exploding. So it is with the faith of our faith in Christ. You cannot have genuine faith in Christ and have nothing happen in response. Jesus said, not John Poole, 
Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruit. He said, you'll know what's going on. You'll know the nature of that tree by its fruit. We don't walk up to an apple tree loaded with apples and scratch our head and go, hmm, what kind of tree is that? You don't. You look at it and you go, look, it's an apple tree. If somebody walks up and says to you, hey, come into my backyard and come look at my apple tree, and you get out there and there's oranges on it. You go, I thought you were going to show me an apple tree. I am, look at my apple tree. You are either very deceived and misinformed, or there is something really, really wrong with your apple tree. Because your apple tree is growing oranges. This is the problem, church. We have, and please, I, why, you say, why are you saying this? It's not because I want to, to uh, uh, make people upset. It's not because I, I want to uh, uh, come against you or offend you or, 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 or to belittle you. But church, there are Christians, or I should say there are people that are professing a Christianity that's not being demonstrated. It's not happening. And it's like, well, wait a second. In fact, what's happening is we're seeing in, in some of these people that, that profess Christianity, we're seeing something that is very opposite. They got oranges and not apples. But we go, well, you know, the grace of God, it covers it all. No. I'm thinking not. It's not enough to make a profession of faith if it's not followed by the practice of faith. The vitality of our spiritual lives depends entirely upon our connection with the vine. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And the question you and I must answer is, are we connected? Are we connected to the vine? Many people believe they're connected because they want to be. But in reality, they're not. Jesus gives us this self-determination or this self-determined test, I guess is the best way to put it. Is there fruit? Is there the fruit that comes with salvation? And it's sad that to many professing Christians, they don't dem demonstrate any change or they experience stunted growth. They don't enjoy freedom. They remain stagnant and stunted and display no visible evidence of the faith they say they have. The church, you say, why is this? I say, I'm saying this because I love you. I care about you. It's my job to help you think about this, to go, wait a second. Look, at I, church, I believe wholeheartedly, absolutely, in the wondrous, wonders of the grace of God. And it is my belief that you can probably never get to the end of the grace of God. It is my belief that we will probably be mining that truth out for eternity. What is really the grace of God? But church, let me tell you something. It is also true that there is very definite and specific things that change 
when grace is really brought in. I think what the church has done, and it's not, it's not necessarily the fault of the individual. I guess that's probably what separates this. I'm, I'm not looking at you and going, you're a rotten sinner. That's not what I'm doing. The, the, the fault lies into the, the, the evolution, if, you feel, if we can use that word, of the church where we've gone to this place where it's okay not to be okay. But it's not okay to stay that way. There's no doubt coming to Jesus, we come as we are. We come with all of the warts and disfigurement and scars and baggage and all our stuff, all of it. We come to him and say, this is who I am. And he finds us in the gutter. I mean, literally covered with the slime and the muck and the debris of this life. But he pulls us out of it. And he begins to pull off. That is the work of the potter. He is, he is, he is chiseling away. Or it's the work of the, of, of, of the sculptor, thank you, that is cutting away everything that's not Christian. The problem is, is I like some of that stuff that's not Christian. God says, you got to give this up. That's my favorite thing. I don't want to give that up. It's not wrong, God. This is the, see, I, I know, I'm picking on some stuff. All things are lawful, bro. Yeah, they don't mean, just because they're lawful don't mean they're good. <laughs> you know what the hard part about preaching a sermon like this is? Is because it, it gets inside me. And now I got to face it. And now I'm convicted. Now I'm like, oh, there's things I've known about. It's like, yeah, I'll deal with that later. And God goes, okay. Later's on its way. (laughs) You're going to have to deal with it. But I want to. I want to deal with it. Why? Because I want him. I want him. I want all of him. So as I bring this to a close, I want you to think about something. And this is something that I have preached before. In fact, it's, to be honest with you, I'll, I'll, be, I'll just be just very transparent. What I'm about to say to you, I've preached at least four times here in this, is this church. And I think the last time I preached it was about a year ago. And you say, well, why are you doing it again? Because it bears repeating. See, the question is, is, is how do we really do this? How do we, how do we pull this off? Now, let me, let, me say, let me begin by saying that this is, first of all, you by yourself aren't going to pull this off. You get that, right? Just you going, hey, I want to pull this off. Well, you're done. He, Jesus said in, in John 15, 5, without me, you can do nothing. Say nothing. You can't do it. No thing. There's nothing. You can't do it. You can't do it on your own. You say, well, why are you saying it? Because what we have to do is realize that Jesus' examples, this, this eating of his flesh and drinking of his blood, this, this abiding 
in him is to be engrafted in the vine. And when we do that, then there is a, there is a source of life that begins to flow. And that source of life begins to flow in us and it begins to change us and rearrange us and do all of these wonderful things. That we are, that is, it requires our cooperation. So that, that, that's what I'm talking about now is, is the part of the equation that requires our cooperation. So I, I'm not taking anything away from the fact that, that this is impossible without Jesus because without him we can do nothing. We need his power, we need his grace, we need all that he provides. But in the midst of this work of salvation, God never takes us out of the equation. He says, now what I need you to do is I need you to cooperate with what I'm putting in you. I need you to work with this. And I think that's where we struggle. And I think that's how we get things out of out of balance because either we're on one side where it's like, well, God, you just have to do all this for me and I'm completely out of it. Or we get on this other side where it's all about me and I have to work my way into it. Neither are true. He is giving me everything I need to cooperate with him so that I can be what he calls me to be. So here's the thing that I've said many times before. It's a statement. It's this. We abide in him. We abide in him through consistent surrender to him in obedience by faith. I'll say it again. We abide in him through consistent surrender in him or to him in obedience by faith. It's a consistent surrender because it's an ongoing process of decision making. See, every morning I wake up and I, I don't literally do this or say these words, but ultimately this is what's happening. Every morning I wake up and I come into prayer and what I'm doing is I'm coming into it that this day, I don't know about yesterday, yesterday's done, I can't do nothing to change it and tomorrow's not here, but today I'm surrendering to you again. I'm, I'm going to live a surrendered life. Now, I, I don't say a sinner's prayer every morning, and I don't say, God, I surrender to you every morning. I don't do that. But what I do is when I wake up, I connect with him again. I say, Father, I love you. Thank you for doing what you've done in me. Thank you for your goodness and your grace. And thank you for giving me the life that you've given me. And so every morning, every morning I get up and I acknowledge him. I acknowledge him. I need you today, Lord. Cause your life to flow through me. Cause the power of your goodness, your grace, your kindness, all you are. God, turn your face toward me. Would you cause your countenance to shine upon me? Would you lay your hand upon me, Lord, and would you put your name on me for this day? So I connect. It's consistent. It's every day because it's an ongoing process of decision-making. And then there's moments where in that day, I have to make another decision because I'm tempted. There's times when I'm tempted to do wrong. I'm, I, I get angry or I get frustrated and I want to say something and do something. If you've ever had to talk to tech support, you're tempted to say things. <laughs> 
Yesterday was not a good day for me in tech support. I was talking to a person that's just trying to make a living in another country. I think it was India. They had an American name, and I asked, I asked her, I says, what's your name? It's like Jennifer or something like that. I said, Jennifer, you don't sound like a Jennifer I know. And I was frustrated. And my wife, she's, she was frustrated too, but she always looks at me and goes, remember, you're a Christian. <laughs> so then I asked Jennifer where she lived. I said, what country are you in? She says, I'm in Canada. And I goes, ha! You don't sound like no Canadian I know. I was not having a good day. So I had to take a moment and back up and surrender again. And Jesus, help me. It's consistent because I had to do it. And then it's surrender because it really is the surrender. See, see, I... I have two natures. I have this old nature that's fallen away and, and it's still there. I can resurrect it if I want. This old nature, I, that old man, that, that, that fallen nature, if I want to, I, I can call on him or I have this new nature and sometimes I find myself in situations where I have to make a choice. Am I gonna be the old man or am I gonna be like Jesus? And I'm, and then you know, and sometimes, see, it's it, it's a it's a highly tuned, sophisticated defense mechanism, because what it will do is it'll convince me that my old nature is exactly what Jesus would do. And it even has scripture. Jesus went in the temple, he turned over those tables and ran those people out. What would Jesus do if he had to deal with tech support? In all honesty, I think he would just realize that the poor girl on the other end is trying to make a living working off a script and she really doesn't know how to fix anything anyway. Not because she doesn't, isn't because she's talented or good or doesn't have anything. It's because the company that she works for that takes all my money doesn't provide her that. So my battle is with the company. And Jesus says, get up. Just get over yourself, dude. Relax. It's okay. It's a phone, for heaven's sakes. So I have to surrender to allow the nature of God to flow in me. So it's consistent surrender. And then it's obedience. Consistent of surrender in obedience is, are you going to do what I've asked you to do? Are you going to be the light of the world? And you know what the amazing thing is? As I'm always praying. Here's the thing. I'm always praying, God, we just want to touch the world. And yesterday, I was talking to the world. Yeah. Jennifer in Canada from India. I, it, was, it was wonderful. It's wonderful. I, God actually gave me an opportunity. But because of this thing in me that still is trying to work its way out, I was struggling with being obedient. Jesus said, you thought that call was about your phone, but I could care less about your phone 
because I so deeply love Jennifer in Canada who's from India. I love her. And you have exactly what you... She don't know to call tech support on her problem. But you called her. And then you got mad at her because your little problem didn't get solved. (laughs) I know. Uh, We're all going to have to go to the altar. I think I'm going to try calling Jennifer back today. And then fourth, it's by faith because, look at church, we have to trust in this spiritual reality because it's t- at times it's hard to see. It's consistent surrender in obedience by faith. You know, the verse of scripture that Jesus has put on my heart for several years that is a constant daily prayer is Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. Acknowledge me in all your way, and I'll direct your path. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. That is such rich, rich wisdom. Because when we come into that place, church, things change. That's our contribution to this process of following him. How do I follow him? In consistent surrender, in obedience, by faith. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Hallelujah. God is so good to us, church. Why don't you bow your heads with me for a moment? Father, we just come before you right now in Jesus' name, and we thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us this word. We thank you that you have revealed to us the truth of how to actually follow you. You call us to follow you. Then you show us, you demonstrate how to follow. And we ask today that you would help us, Lord, that 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 reality that comes as as we abide in you, God, would begin to flow through us, that we would deepen our walk with you. God, that we would be alive in you. Father, I pray for every individual in this place, God, that you would touch their lives. Lord, we all struggle. We all deal with it. And so, Father, I pray that you would make a way for them and help them. And I thank you right now in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, church, like I say, I know sometimes these kind of messages, and I know I've been dealing with some... some, some uh, hard subjects in the sense that we look at them and they, if not preached in the right light, they can get very, you can take the word of God and turn it in from, you could take it from a sword where it has the ability to be like a scalpel of a surgeon and you could turn it into a baseball bat. I could tell you that is not my goal. My goal is not to swing the bat to make you feel guilty so that you will comply That's not the goal. The goal is to show you the power of this salvation, the power of what he did, and that it's the word, that the only word that I could come up with for it is when that power is, when you're truly connected, when that power is really in there, is it's irresistible. 
In other words, you can't stop it. It's like trying to stop the waves on the ocean. It doesn't matter if they're 200 feet tall, tidal waves, or if they're little quarter-inch ripples. You're not stopping them. It's irresistible. They're coming in. And that's the grace of God. It, 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 it overwhelms. It overwhelms and it transforms. And so what hap- what you say, well, what's the point then? The point is, if that's not happening, then then come back to this and say, wait a second, have I, have I not connected? What, what's happening? I need, to, I need to ask some questions here. And maybe, and just maybe, what you might have to do is you might have to say, Jesus, you know, I thought I had surrendered all to you. I thought I'd given my life to you. But I'm finding out now that maybe I haven't. Several years ago, I read a book by, it was an autobiography by Reinhard Bunke. If you know who Reinhard Bunke is, he had a tremendous ministry in Africa. And one time he found himself going to a pastor's conference. There was about three, three, four hundred African pastors in this very ritzy hotel in Johannesburg, South Africa. They had this conference room and they were eating breakfast and and Reinhardt was to get up and preach, and God spoke to him just before he got up. He says, I don't want you to preach the message you brought. I want you to preach the message of salvation, and then I want you to pull an altar call. And Reinhardt's like, oh, my gosh. I'm in a room of three to 400 pastors. I'm probably not hearing God right now. But God was very intent and intense on him. And so Reinhardt got up, and he delivered this very, very basic message of salvation, something that he would in a crusade. And then he asked everybody to bow their heads and they did. They bowed their heads and he's thinking, oh dear God, I, what have I done? What have I done? Why have I done this? Why have I embarrassed myself and put all these pastors on the spot? And he pulled the altar call. One or two pastors responded, but 60 of the wait staff that were waiting on them responded to the altar call. And see, sometimes, church, we, 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 we get afraid of saying things because they're provocative or because maybe they seem like they're hard. But we never know who's in the audience. We never know who needs to hear our words. So I'm going to ask you one more time to bow your head, if you would, just for a moment. And you know what? As I look around the room, I, I know, I think I know just about everybody here and but you know what? I don't know everyone's heart here. And I'm not going to do something that's going to embarrass you. I'm not going to pull you to an altar. So you don't have to worry about that today. But if you're in the room today and you say, you know what, Pastor, I, I've listened to what you're saying and I'm, I'm wondering. I don't, I don't know. I'm not assured of salvation. But I'd like to be. So I want to respond one more time. And I'm going to do that privately right now just by every head's bowed and every eye is closed but if you just raise your hand up just real quick just raise it up amen I see that hand amen I see that one and that one and those amen thank you thank you others is there anyone else that you'd like to raise your hand amen amen I see that hand others today I I applaud you and I'm so proud of your courage today to connect again with Jesus And what I want you to do, in fact, would you all pray with me out loud? Say, Lord Jesus, 
I ask you to come into my heart and to be my Lord and my Savior. I surrender my life to you right now. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, if you prayed that prayer, it's the single greatest decision of your life. Let one of us know. Let one of the pastors on staff or maybe even somebody on the worship team come up to him and say, just say, hey, I just gave my life to Jesus. Let us know. And if you need help, let us know, and we'll help you. Amen? So what we're going to do is we always do. We're going to close our service with a, a, a song of worship. Why don't you stand to your feet all across this place? And you know what? We're not finished yet, so don't leave. Let's just take this moment and let's just worship the Lord. And we'll, we'll, we'll be leaving shortly.
There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. into our mess and reach into our lives and and save us Lord God we didn't deserve it we didn't we can't earn it Lord but that doesn't matter your love transcends all of that all of the Bible says while we were yet still sinners while we were actively rejecting you actively denying you whether that be intentional or just simply by ignorance God, you overlooked that and you radically changed our lives and we thank you for that. We thank you for what you're doing in our life and in this family, in this church, Lord God. God, just draw all men unto you this morning. God, just let this place be a beacon of hope for those who are lost, those who are broken. God, that they may feel the overwhelming grace that you pour out on us, Lord that they may receive hope for the rest of their lives, God, and that their life can be radically transformed. And we thank you for what you're doing in and through this place. In Jesus' name, amen. You are free to go this morning. Thank you for listening to the New Life Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.